0: From the website, girlfriendit.com, and the movement Girlfriend It, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on toginet.com.
1: Okay,
2: so how do you handle change? Like, what emotion does that word evoke? You know what? <laughs> it's an interesting word, because some changes I find that I welcome. You're like, when it's like something's not going well, it's like, okay, I need a change. But then there's some changes, um, like even on a personal level, and I'll kind of talk about that maybe if you, if you want to hear about it, um, that you go, I'm not ready for this. This hurts my heart. I don't want that. So I think it depends on the change. But I know change is really hard, so it does emoke, it does evoke a lot of emotions either way. So before we get too far into our emotions – we want to remind you that you are listening to Girlfriend It Radio with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, where we rally you to do the remarkable through resources and relationships. And we have more information about today's show and other tips and tricks on our website at GirlfriendIt.com. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter.
1: Well, like you said, Lise, change is seldom easy, um, especially for an individual, yet alone an entire group of people. And so today we are going to be listening to author Tricia Taylor, um, who just finished writing a book, book about learning change, and especially in a congregation. But before we go corporate and big and an entire group. Um, how do we just deal with change as an individual? And, and I have to tell you, because um, you and I are probably going through some of the largest changes that one can go through. <laughs> I mean, I know they, they say, you know, when getting married is a huge change, and then moving into a house is a huge change, getting your first job is a huge change. But um the, the whole empty nester thing, you handled that really, really well. But now you've had some other major things that I, I think are
2: harder to deal with. So tell us a little bit about some of your changes. that well, you're... When We were talking about change earlier and, you know, how do we feel about change and how does change affect us? Um, you know, immediately I, I am in that season of change. And what it is is on that personal level, like you said, empty nester, but have two grown kids. Six grandkids, and they they live within ten minutes from me. So I know that I've been living in utopia, like having yeah. you know my nest is right here, and it's very full and it's very fun. Um, and recently, my nest has been disturbed and disrupted, and <laughs> I am not liking that. And so, you know, my my son and and daughter in law, and their five kids, five grandkids, um, they just felt this this it's a time in their life and a calling that, you know, he's going to lead a church and they're moving up to Portland, Oregon. And so they're going to be moving there in August. And, you know, I first heard the news that they're going to probably be moving and, and seeking this um, back. Like, I think it was in January or February. And gosh, Patty, it's like, it's like, it was like a death, you know, a death of a dream. Um, um, You go through the grieving, the like, I was angry a little bit, like, "How dare you do this?" Yeah, because it is all about me. That's a grandma, and it you know. And and I think that's one of the things you always go, "Okay, this changes. This is how it's really disrupting my life." Do you understand this? You know. And then when you you come to your senses a little bit more, and then you try to be mature, which is really hard to do, um, you go, "You know, I can see this. This is a good thing." not a bad thing but it but we always look at it how it affects me and so I've had to like like go through the grieving process over time and starting getting and I finally have accepted that I have to look at life on the other side of this because this is reality it's happening I can't change it but you know I'm really sentimental And I tend to, you know, so I just know my little sentimental side when I drive by their house or when I do things, you know, down the road, it's just going to, it's going to be hard. It's going to evoke those emotions. So I'm trying to be a big girl and handle this. And, um, of all the places though, Portland's not a bad place to visit, especially in the summertime. So I'm going to try to make the most of it, but, um, you're going to be having to listen to me a lot come August when, um, when the reality happens and I'm, you're going to have to just... Be, be like a good listening ear and you're probably gonna tell me you know get a life get a grip um, and I'm okay with that because I'll hop to but anyway that's my change right now that's kind of happening and I know you know we always compare our change though don't yeah. you because I yeah. go okay whatever there's so many people that are losing this and and you know and you look on the on the scope of the world and people losing lives and families and homes and you go really this is you know this is not a our, our first change. world issue here. Yeah. Yes, yes. So we always compare. But, you know, no matter what your change is, it's still personal to you, and it affects you. And we have to learn how we each deal with it. So I know, and you are dealing with change on a personal level, talking about your kids. And when your kids change, the change is so huge to you. So your change is pretty big, too. Well, we were laughing this morning because Kevin
1: Bacon, of all people to quote, but he made that comment about you're as happy as your least happiest child. Mm -hmm. And you take that on. And like you said, the smart thing to do, and that would be our biggest tip, because that's what we tell each other is to be able to take a step back and look at the bigger picture. Because like you said, we always want to know how it affects us, what we're going through, what our emotions and many times if you if you're staying that close to it and how it's affecting you 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 can't get past that you just keep wallowing in oh poor me this is a huge you know change that i'm having to deal with and like you said when you look back and you you can see all the, the bigger things in life and also the benefits of what's going to mm-hmm. happen, you know, with Jeremy and Michelle. And I know my son just went there um, as well in December into Portland. So we just laughed. That what crazy wife, is that that both of our kids
2: know, in the same city,
1: that they parallel that. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it, it is hard. And yet, you know, that, that, That's what was going to happen. We're supposed to raise our kids so they can go out into the world and be disciples. And they don't necessarily have to be disciples in our backyard. But we want them in our backyard to put up umbrellas and sit out on towels and put our feet in the pool. (laughs) It's like, wait, I like that picture. That image works for me.
2: It totally works for me. Yes.
1: To be able to go, but that is what God intended, is that we, we raised him up well to be able to do all these fabulous you know, things and, and go out there. It's interesting because in some of the the classes that I've trained, I have people stand up, take a look at each other for 30 seconds, and then go back to back and change three things about themselves. And then they partner up, look at each other again, and they have to say... What is different? And for the most part, people can kind of figure out, oh, you changed, you took your earrings off, and oh, you changed your rings around, and oh, you flipped your hair onto the other side. But the the biggest part of that change activity is as soon as I will say, okay, you know, take a look, what did you see that was different? They will start putting it back putting whatever item they changed right back within seconds and just for them to to realize why we didn't say to put put your items back into place put them back to where you originally started but people will do it automatically and it comes down to we don't like change there's a reason why we just like to get into that pattern and when you think of you know just the the neurons, you know, here comes my research for you, Lisa, that you mocked me about, but all the, the <laughs> neurons in our, the pathways in our brain are more than the stars in the galaxy. So we can change these patterns. We choose not to, but once you step back and go, you know what, I, this change in the, this pathway of these, you know, neuro, whatever, um, probably is a good idea every once in a while to look at the bigger picture and see how it's affecting other people. So that, that is my two cents for you. My, on my platform. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I, I, you know, it is so true. I mean, we do resist change. And, um, and a lot of times it's the transition of change because it's the process of there. It's like sometimes, you know, the, the end result is not bad, but it's like getting to there. And it's like, mm-hmm. even when you have people change, like even a change, like your ring, like change something and wear your ring on a different finger. It just feels odd at first right? because we become so accustomed to the, something, the way something feels. Yeah. and we like that feeling. And so we don't want to change that feeling and get used to a, a new feeling with it. Okay. So, so I have something for you. So go ahead and cross your hands across your chest. Just like,
1: just put okay. your hands across your chest. Okay. Now, put your opposite hand on top than what you normally do when you cross your chest. Okay.
2: So, can you do it? Yeah. I must be, I'm a trist or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, you did it, but is it comfortable? Is
1: not, it not as. Not as. Yeah. Yeah. So, even that, like even switching that pattern in your brain to not do what's, what's natural, it's just... It's hard. Change
2: mm-hmm. is really hard and complicated. You have to really think about it. and have to be really intentional. Yes. yes. We just gravitate toward what's comfortable. But doesn't that, doesn't that say so much about just our culture now? We, we One of our values is comfort. And mm-hmm. it's like, I will do whatever and I will resist change because it's not comfortable. Even though it could be better. But it doesn't feel good and it's not comfortable. So I, I don't sure. want to do it.
1: I'm going to resist change from you. If you do something that I don't care for and it creates tension in me, then I'm not going to be tolerant of you. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. that's mind-boggling as well.
2: Uh-huh.
1: I think you have a story there, right? <laughs> <laughs> I do. One that can't be told, at least today. <laughs> oh,
2: yeah. I, I love it when there's these, yeah, there is a story there. I, I said things. <laughs> You heard yeah. the passion. You heard the passion. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I heard the emotion to that to that thought. Well, you know what? I'm looking forward to um, the rest of our show when we're going to be talking about change and learning change because, like we just said, it doesn't happen just naturally a lot of times. We have to learn how to really handle change and, and go through the process of change. And, and so many times there is something better on the other side. If we just stay and see it through, but that's a really hard thing to do. So um, we're coming up next. We're gonna take a quick break, and coming up, we are going to be talking about learning change and and fueled by by personal. And so we we talked about how it affects us personally. We'll be right back. After.
4: For more information, go to stadia.cc.
0: It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
3: With Thanksgiving around the corner, the holiday season is ready to begin. Year after year, Americans gain weight during the holidays because they overeat and exercise less because of the busyness of the season. It does not have to be that way. It's time to up your exercise. Spending more time burning calories is a good plan. Increasing the intensity of your exercise is another wise idea. Exercising not only helps you keep your weight down, but it also relieves the stress that is all too common during the holidays. Some people are not even exercising now, but are planning to start after the first of the year. My advice is start now. Don't put it off. You'll be so happy when January 1st rolls around and you are already ahead because you are exercising on a regular basis. You also will most likely not have gained weight over the holidays because of your exercise. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond.
0: Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on Toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa.
1: Well, we were discussing what emotion is evoked when you have to deal with change, and change is seldom easy for an individual, much less less an entire group of people, such as a church congregation. And in her new book, Learning Change, Trisha Taylor talks about a congregational transformation, and uh, just stories of church leaders who were able to transform their congregations by first making changes in their own lives.
5: So today we get to hear from Trisha. Trisha, how are you? Hi, I'm gr- I'm good. It's good to be here. So um,
1: we are hearing from our sound engineer that you're from Houston, Texas, and she's quite excited because she's from Texas as well. <laughs> yes. I, I will tell you right now in Arizona, we are not loving the weather. It is getting up to uh, like 120 degrees. So I don't uh-huh. know
5: if, what, what it's like there
1: in Texas. Is it nice and warm?
5: Um, well, it's not that warm, which is really nice. Um, and we missed uh, the tropical storm the last couple of days for the most part. So we have rain, but nothing catastrophic. So we're feeling pretty pleased here. You're okay. Well, that's, that's good. So that means that you're you're
1: okay with the change in weather. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about... Trisha, like tell us your story and w- at what part that you realized. You know what? We need to
5: write about change within the church. Like what what brought that on? Mm. Well, I was I was born on a Monday and in church on Sunday. So, um I came from a family where church Um, was a big part of our lives and uh, grew up in the church, loved the church, loved the Bible, Uh, went on to a Christian university, went on to seminary, uh, eventually toward um, professional ministry and ordination and all of that um, put me right squarely in the middle of the church life, which I think we can all agree maybe is a very anxious place to be. Um, one of the things in my life as a professional counselor that I work on quite a bit is thinking about anxious systems and how, like you said in the intro, it's, it's one thing to think about change individually. It's another thing to look at um, how we all vibrate together um, with kind of a, a collective anxiety when we start thinking about change in a group. And it seemed very clear that as Our congregations were facing a number of changes, changes from within, I think, that churches have always uh, faced. Um, People come and people go and things happen, and sometimes we move from one building to the next, or changes happen in our denomination. Uh, But we're also in a culture that is rapidly changing, and that change shows up in the church, and it shows up in ways that make us all anxious. And so uh, it was out of that experience of over a lot of years, I won't tell you how many years, but um, a lot of years, uh, watching both um, the changes happening and the anxious reactivity of Christians and congregations to that change uh, said, you know, this is something we probably need to write about one of the interesting and maybe unique things about this book is that I'm not the author of the book. Um, I'm one of nine authors, um, of this book. And so, um, there are nine people who have been on this journey together who, who wrote this together. And, um, um, I don't know if you've ever tried to write anything with a group of people, but to write a book together with nine people was a challenge. But we feel like we really captured our learning about how to manage ourselves in change.
2: Hmm. I love the collaboration. And did you guys learn from each other a lot in this process?
5: Absolutely. We have been sharing um, this process of learning about uh, personal individual change that then leads to congregational transformation that we hope will take us toward even um, change in our communities and in our culture and we've been on this in this learning process together as a learning community for uh, years now and we felt like we had learned some things that needed to be shared so we all got together and um in Western Michigan around a table for three days and said we need to figure out a way to get what we've been learning and practicing in our real lives we need to get this story out there to see if there might be something that can help others
2: mm-hmm. You mentioned you talked a lot about the transformational learning model is as a you know it we, we're so conditioned for the information you know yeah. give us the information <laughs> And but yet it really doesn't lead to transformation, and transformation really is the key because unless there is change, there is transformation. Really, what good was the information? So, can you kind of address that a little bit? How you know, just kind of the, the aspects of transformational learning?
5: Yes, this is one of the really exciting things. Um, so you mentioned information, and so I would just invite people to imagine a cycle around three things, um, starting with information. So we'll put that at the top of this diagram. And we want to say that information is really important. We need to get new information about new things, especially in this rapidly changing culture. But, you know, there are things we don't know that we don't know. There are things that that, um, that we know that we don't know. And we do need to be able to go out and find out what other people know about this. But that all by itself doesn't get us to transformation. What we have often called learning in the church is that we go to a class or we listen to something, maybe a sermon or um, you know, something like that, and we get information and we put some of it into our heads and we put some of it into a notebook, and then we put that notebook on the bottom shelf of our bookcase at home and we say, I've learned this. And Mm -hmm. so, um, beyond information, we want to go around the cycle to another component that we're going to call practice. And the practice is key, right? Because we take what we've learned informationally, the content, and then we go out in the real world and we put it into practice in ways that are usually uncomfortable, unfamiliar, scary... And we adults, we hate this. Most of us build our whole lives so that we don't ever have to practice something we don't already know how to do. Mm -hmm. And so here we are out in the real world practicing. Um, We take on um, maybe something that seems like a spiritual concept, and we try to figure out a way to go practice that in real life. And then the third component in this um, process is that then we reflect. and We reflect on our practice with a group of other people who uh, love us are for us are not going to shame or judge or criticize us that we can tell the truth um, about our learning with. And then one of the things that happens is we decide what more information do we need. And we just start that practice. We start the process over again.
2: Wow. So how, okay. So you've taken this, you've talked about like in the context of the church um, and people can look at this in the context of other things, but as, as far as the church and you, you talked about, it starts with us. So going, using these principles, you know, one of the things, my husband is a pastor and it is hard to move people, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. a, a, as you know, and so, and, and, you know, in just introducing, you know, the concept of change with these, the information, the practice and the reflection is really hard to move them from here to there. Um, How did you see that when you started owning it and doing this, how did you start seeing the results, the transformation of the transformation
5: happening? That's a really good question. I would agree with you that it is hard for all of us to move toward change. Um, Mm -hmm. And a couple of things I would say about that is, um, one, it is easier for people when we set up what's called a shame-free zone. So this work that we're doing in a learning community now involves up to 100 pastors, um, close to that number of congregations. And one of the things we're learning is that in places where the leaders can really get to places saying, you know, we, we want this to be a shame-free place, if you're practicing, nobody's going to judge you for that. Mm-hmm. And if we accidentally do, we'll backtrack, and we'll apologize, and we'll get behind you in a different way. And where mm-hmm. there becomes then a, a culture that is willing to practice. So, for example, this is an easy one. In some sense, a mission trip is, a pra- is an opportunity to practice, right? If, mm-hmm. it's done, if it's done well, it's a chance for us to go practice a different way of living with some other people who are doing that, too, in an unfamiliar context, but it, it ideally doesn't end there, right? We get some practice at what it means to be in an unfamiliar place where we're willing to sacrifice uh, for a greater good, where we're not just focused on our own comfort, where we're um, willing to um, take on some challenging experiences. And hopefully, what we bring back then is a willingness to live those things out more deeply in our regular lives. Um, bringing mission into real life as it currently exists. And Mm -hmm. I can say, um, I could just name several, many congregations who have really taken on experimenting with asking people, uh, let's say, to leave a sermon with um, one thing that they're willing to practice during that week, Rather than just leaving the sermon saying, "Oh, that was a really good sermon about that text," and now we're going to go to lunch and um, you know just store that information.
2: And I think that breaking it down into something like, "What is the one thing you know that you can take and that you can practice?" Instead of looking at the whole and it's like I don't know where to begin. (laughs) But even as you're listening to information being presented or listening to a message. Listening with that, you know, the intention of I'm going to try to extract the one thing for me that stands out in this, and then put it to you. So even as how you listen, it changes how you listen.
5: It completely like, changes how you listen, And you're no longer listening for, "Is this right or wrong? Do I agree with this or disagree with this?" But I'm listening to say, "How does this move me closer?" to um, who I want to be, how I want to show up in the world as a follower of Jesus. Perfect example, I heard a sermon not long ago, this was just a few months ago, about forgiving our enemies and I was thinking, huh, I'm not sure I really have enemies in my life right now. And then one day it occurred to me, I get so mad at everyone that I share the road with um, between my house and my office every morning and every afternoon. I get furious. And so I took on the practice of uh, forgiving all these people who are cutting me off, who are, um, you know, keeping me I'm from perfect. getting where I want to go. And I Trisha, really took that on as a spiritual really practice. I'm so sorry.
2: We're going to have to take a really quick break. I'm going to have to cut you off. We'll be right back The Girlfriend at Radio. We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90 plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a one of a kind ministry for planters' wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like-minded gals who want to change lives.
4: Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the
0: Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
3: As summer ends and fall schedules begin, it may be time to reset your healthy habits. For most of us, it was a lazy, crazy summer, and many took a vacation from healthy living. Backyard barbecues, relaxing on the beach, and taking in the ambiance of outdoor restaurant eating may have led to weight gain. You may have eaten things that you know were not so low calorie and nutritious, and maybe you even let your daily exercise go by the wayside. It's time to get that weight off and increase your daily exercise. It's time to get back on your healthy living routine. It's easy to reset. Exercise every day for 30 to 60 minutes. Make it a priority and don't miss. Go back to planning your meals to keep your good eating choices at the forefront. By changing a few daily habits, you can get back to healthy living and feeling great. I'm Annette Hammond.
0: Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on TogiNet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa
1: chatting with trisha taylor who's a counselor minister consultant coach and co-author of learning change and trisha i we were cracking up because you were just talking about the road rage that you were getting from people cutting you off on the streets and then lisa cut you off right, <laughs>
5: right. well that's okay i've forgiven her so it <laughs> don't, works. don't make
1: me an enemy i'm
2: not your enemy all right <laughs> right <laughs>
1: So I want to talk about that, um, speaking of the road rage and anxiety that we get from all these things. You, you said earlier that um, learning change as a congregation, like there's anxiety that that takes place. What, what type of congregational anxiety were
5: you talking about? Can you pinpoint that? Yeah, I think I can. Um, so if you'll think about... Anxiety, not so much as um, like a psychological diagnosis, but if you'll think of it as kind of that stirred upness or that electrical charge that flows between people um, when things are anxious, and we also recognize that change, by its very nature, produces anxiety, and so we have congregations who, um, you know, let's let's face it, sometimes we see a ton of anxiety from something just like you know changing a hymnal or moving the pulpit or putting down a different carpet and we all react to that and we all do what we do when we get anxious Um, you know maybe we conflict or maybe we distance um, but we all do whatever it is we do but on top of that we're also facing what does it look like to be the church in the 21st century Mm -hmm. And we've never been here before, and our culture, our world is changing faster than the world has ever changed before, and figuring out how do we be followers of Jesus faithfully in a context that is changing every day, um, people often ask me, so are you saying that the Church needs to change? And I say back to them, no, I'm saying that the Church is changing. It, it is going to change. It is happening right now. Um, some in some ways that we like, some in some ways that we don't like, but the change is coming. And what I, one of the things I think our book is trying to address is the extent to which we can see change as an opportunity to learn. Mm-hmm. So... That, that's interesting in,
1: in, in a way that we can learn, because that, that was my next question. In what ways is the church losing its impact here in America when we are talking about you know the changes? Because we see it, we feel it, like what does and doesn't need to happen for the church to, to re- regain its ground,
5: to not be so changing with the culture? Well, I think um, the starting place, I think it is to look at how Jesus managed that. And what I see when I look at the life of Jesus is someone who was born at the crossroads of some huge cultural change. Um, we have the Romans, we have Jewish life, we have um, all kinds of things that are happening at the, in the world at that time. And we see Jesus waking up every day focused on mission. Not on preferences or personality, or, you know, we see him saying every single day, I'm listening to what the father is doing, and then I'm acting out of that. And we see example. After example, after example, we see some places where other people are very anxious. Let's say, for example, the the story of the woman caught in adultery. And other people are very anxious and trying to get him to do something in response to their anxiety, you know, to judge and condemn this woman. And we see him staying very calm, listening to the father, I assume, um, thinking about, through his core values about who he is in the world, and then acting out of that in a really creative, um, uh, grace-filled, surprising way. And so I would say that's the starting place, is to think about how do we learn to align our lives to live like Jesus did in the midst of big change and fierce anxiety. Hmm.
2: Cool. Well, okay, so you... Um, when you're talking about it, I mean it, I don't know how to say this because it evokes so much because we're dealing with real life and reality and changing and, and people it, it, part of change is, is ha- helping people to see how small we think sometimes um, that there's more t- t- to learn people resist learning sometimes because it is uncomfortable and it may require me to change something mm-hmm. Um how, how do you address that? Like, because I think, uh, you know, especially like in a church or in a group, one person can affect others. You know, it's not like you're taking, when you're trying to, uh, you know, help motivate a group towards change, one negative person can affect the whole group. So it's like, how do you, how do you identify and how do you help that person to see a need for change? I think that's a lot of it too. People don't even see a need for change in the church. It's like, we've always done it this way. This is great. And we're set apart. So can you address that a little bit?
5: I'm, I will, maybe not in the way that you um, are hoping that I will, because I, I, think, I
2: don't have no, I have no expectations. No <laughs>
5: I think we're, effort, we're a totally shame-free zone. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Efforts to try to get another person to change are almost always fruitless. Um, Now, I wake up every day with lots of plans to help other people change, right? But um, the truth is that's usually um, not very effective. But I loved what you said about um, one person affects others because in a system when even just one person, but especially if more people, are waking up every day thinking about what does it look like for me to live fully human, fully alive today? What if today the thing that I care about most is that God is on mission in the world and is inviting me to join him there. And what if there are several of us in a congregation that are asking that question, um, not in a, an elitist way, but in a way that um, where we're living full out um, and we have stories to tell about what God is doing and we're supporting each other in that, that's also really, um, that is really contagious. And, mm-hmm. and I would say each of the congregations that are represented in this book have, as well as others, have formed a small team of people who are taking that on. How are we going to help the, um, how are we going to help the uh, get this idea that if we can learn how to be the people of God in the 21st century together... Um, And by together, we don't necessarily mean every single person. One of the things that I remember is one way Jesus managed anxiety in his own system is that he let people walk away. Um, He was very clear about who he was and what he was about. He engaged people around that if they wanted to do that. But he also, in several places in the Gospels, let people choose differently. Sometimes Mm -hmm. in congregations, that's what we do. But... I see a lot of leaders wanting to get up front and tell people how they should change rather than casting a really positive, um, uh, exciting vision about what change could look like. Mm
2: -hmm.
5: And and that's the key right there is um, how do we continually
2: cast a compelling vision? Um, And as we know, Bill Hybels says, you know, vision leaks. And yeah. it's like sometimes we think, well, I cast that vision two years ago. People should It's like, no, I mean, it needs over and over. And we need to be reminded of this is why we're doing this, we're implementing this. And I think part of it is people have to understand the why behind it. Yeah. And to be able to go, okay, now I get it. I need to, to be more open with that. And um, it is such a challenge, especially in the church. Um to, to implement and try to in casting vision in such a way that leads to transformation, in um, what with what you're talking about, not just giving them the information but helping them lead and live a different life. Um, what are some of the keys that you have? You know, we talk about change and and you know the, the process of change and how we implement it. What are some of the keys that you your group um, has
5: discovered in your practice? And we have three minutes before I have to completely interrupt you again. Here's a a big piece is that, one, this is not original with us, but I think this bears out in our experience, is that people, for the most part, do not resist change. Um, We're actually designed, our brains like change. We are designed to be really adaptable. What we resist is loss. What we resist is that something that is meaningful to us or important to us is going to go away. And when we can address that, whether that's in our families or our congregations, um, when we can address that change brings loss, and we can bring really deep empathy um, to the experience that people are having, that, that change for them means losing something, and we can bring an empathetic, compassionate heart to that. Then what we see is um, we may still pursue that change. You know, that may be God's calling in our lives. It's not negotiable. We are moving in that direction. But we can do that with a lot of deep compassion um, and empathy.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah. and that's actually really interesting that, you know, we are designed for change because I can I can look at my life and go, I, I love change. Like as much as I love traditions, I liked the adventure of something new. I like to be continuously, you know, changing and being excited for for something that's new. Um, So to hear it that way, that it's the it's the fact that you're losing something. So when we're changing a hymn then we're losing that emotion that it, you know, evokes when we hear that particular hymn. Because you do go, why are they so upset? about?
5: (laughs) Exactly. This is a really cool song.
1: Yeah, so that's an interesting tip to to realize, yeah, what are you taking away from them? What are they losing? And what can benefit them when, what do you, like, you know, like a child, when you take away, your telephone out of their hands, you have to replace it with some other toy. (laughs) So you're not not just yanking it from them, you're replacing it. So that's
5: an interesting way to look at the situation. Yes, exactly. And we don't have to make them the bad guy for resisting mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. change.
2: Again, you're talking about the shame-free zone.
5: You know, creating that space
2: where this is okay and it's okay to process out loud and to share your emotions about it, and, and we validate those, and we validate how hard this is, but we're in this together to get from here to there. And I think that when they feel like, okay, I'm not alone, you're not just dictating at me, but you're with me in this. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, um, and when we come come right back with more conversation about change.
0: It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
3: The Mayo Clinic describes a gluten-free diet as a diet that excludes the protein gluten, which is found in grains such as wheat, barley, and rye. It is estimated that the market for gluten-free products has grown to about 40 million consumers. Celebrities have touted the effectiveness of a gluten-free diet for weight loss. Cutting down on gluten means cutting down on carbs, and that's generally a good thing. The fewer bagels, muffins, and bread you're consuming, the healthier and leaner you're going to be, as long as you're replacing those carbs with nutritious foods like fruit and vegetables. But we've also seen a surge in the number of foods marketed as gluten-free. Some of these foods are okay, but many others are simply new versions of the same old problems, essentially carb-loaded junk foods. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond.
1: We are back with Tricia Taylor, co-author of Learning Change, Congregational Transformation. And Tricia is also available to lead workshops and seminars or to provide consultation and coaching to help individuals and teams find a new way of thinking and leading in the contemporary church. And Tricia, we we went into a break talking about... Uh, why we resist change, and, and many times it's because we're actually resisting the loss of something. And I know so many churches in, in the change of even simulcast, all of a sudden now, you know, we're, we're doing church on a big screen, and you you hear a lot of, you know, commotion about that. I'm just interested, what part of doing church on a big screen that there is a loss? Where do you feel like the congregation feels like they're losing something?
5: In terms of these new ways that we experience church together? Yes. hmm Yeah, we live in a culture that both resists and longs for deep connection. And I think we see that in, the, in our churches as well. We long for really deep connection. We want authentic relationships where we can really tell the truth. And at the same time, we want to hide and pretend and... Um, and so we see all different things that happen in church that allow us to do that, that put, that put space between us and other people, because that level of vulnerability is, is scary. And so I think that was true 100 years ago. I think that's true today, that mm-hmm. um, change is always either bringing us closer together, which sometimes looks like community and sometimes looks like conflict, or it's pushing us apart. Um, in ways that sometimes look like us being healthy and autonomous, but sometimes looks like us being distant and disconnected. So I think it's not so much the forms that create the issue for us. It's how are we going to stay connected in, a, in, a, in the way that God designed us to be connected to each other in community um, in the midst of changing forms.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it, you know, so many times in the in congregations, uh, you you talk about in your book like reinventing themselves over and over again. But you also talk about managing ourselves, and and I I find that this is truly the biggest tip in the in the big picture of whenever we're dealing with change in organizations, in churches, or even in families. It's it's all about how we are taking the change. So, what would be a tip on?
5: How do you manage yourself through change? You know, one thing I do when I'm going into a meeting, um, my husband's also a pastor, and so I have lots of experience with meetings at church. And <laughs> um, when I'm going into a meeting that I know we're going to be feeling the anxiety, I know that this is going to be a tough meeting. Maybe we're going to have different opinions or there's a decision that needs to be made where it's going to feel like there are winners and losers. Um, I will write at the top of a piece of paper where I'm going to doodle or take notes, Manage yourself. And then I will usually have thought through some ways, how do I want to show up in this meeting in a way that I think honors God and reflects what I believe God is doing in our midst. And so the, the message is not, um, how do I get these other people to do the thing that I think we should do? But the message is to myself, How am I going to show up with, um, in our book we talk about four core values that we've aligned ourselves um, with, authenticity, integrity, courage, and love. And I will often just pray through, what does it mean to have authenticity today in this this situation? What does it mean to have integrity? How am I going to have courage? Where am I going to show love? And to just constantly be running through that checklist when I know that I'm going to be in a situation where change is making us anxious.
2: Mm. And I think part of that is, like you said, even identifying that change makes us anxious and identifying that in people and giving them permission to fill that anxiety and to go, it's OK, we all feel this. And I think sometimes it's like they just need to know they're not alone in it. Um, and I think that's where that you talking about the community aspect of, of learning together and coming together and trying to set the stage together. But um, identifying even identifying the emotions to it with people. So you're not just dictating this is, this is where you need to go, but okay. In the process, this is what you may be feeling. And I think that just validates people, um, for who they are in the process, which is really helpful to that. Um, we just want to, you know, before we, we get too much farther and forget, we just want again, to thank you for being on the show and sharing so much of your practice with us. It's so, um, so enlightening and, and really transformational. but can you um, just share with our listeners how they can get a hold of our book how, your book, how they um, we weren't one of the nine sitting around your table. Um, how can, <laughs> how can um, they find more information about you and what you what you
5: offer? Sure. Uh, the book is um, available widely. The title is Learning Change by Jim Harrington and Trisha Taylor. Um, it's on Amazon. It's showing up in some bookstores. So there's that. Uh, my email address is trishataylor at faithwalking.us. Um, and then there also, uh, if they want to look at some of the podcasts that Jim and I have, have worked on, they can go to jimtharrington.com and just see some of the things that we have said when we've gotten together around a microphone to just share some of what we're learning. So those are some different options for contact. Awesome.
1: Okay. Thanks for that, Trisha. And I, I have another question as we're um, coming to the end of our show. If, if you don't mind putting on your counselor <laughs> hat, I'll go ahead and lay down on the couch. <laughs> I just finished a week of high school camp. So being with, you know, 400-plus high schoolers, definitely seeing the change just even within our, our students and the, the the culture that is just moving so rapidly. What would you say is the issue where you're seeing so much anxiety within teenagers?
5: I don't know that this is new, but it's certainly more intense now maybe than it's ever been. I see a lot of anxiety around materialism. Um mm that our our culture just continues to be more and more geared toward what you have, what you look like, your stuff, your image and you know now we have social media where kids have to manage their social their their image 24/7 mm-hmm. and i think that um what the church has to offer there if if we'll take advantage of the opportunity is intimacy and connection and community with each other. Kids can have that with their peers, with adults, with God. Um, That's a place where I want to see the church be increasingly countercultural, where we are offering less about image and stuff and looking good and more about um, being the people God has called us to be, designed us to be together.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I I just I I think the whole uh I know we we spent a lot of time talking about um what's going on within Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat, you know, all the social media, but it it has taken um at least as a parent taken our world truly by surprise that it's hard as a parent to even know how to manage it because if you completely pull them away they feel isolated because they're not a part of this group that uses social media but yet when you allow them the social media it's they're just plugging into that continuous you know who am i what's the image what's my brand that i'm putting out there and trying to manage through this um, especially as, as just like you said leading and trying to get that intimacy and that connection with with god when it's it's hard to even, uh, we want them to have their phones because their Bibles are on their phones now. You <laughs> can look over a crowd while the message is going on And they're just sliding through social media on their phone. And we know multitasking, especially when you're thinking of the way that, you know, cognitive thinking, there's no way they can listen and be reading the Snapchat all at the same time, even though they feel like this multitasking, that they have that capability. Uh, How do you even, are there any tips on that, how you manage that, except to say phones go
5: away? I mean, I I don't know. So a couple of things. One, that is good practice, right? Ask everybody to give up their phone for a little while, leaders included. But a couple of other things. One would be um, less emphasis on let's control what you do with your phone and more emphasis on, um, you know, creating a life that makes you forget to look at your phone. And that's something I'm personally practicing right now. I have that meme in a place where I can see it. You know, live my life in such a way that I forget to look at my phone. Um, I'm not sure that teenagers are designed to learn sitting in rows facing forward. Um, I just don't think that's our design as human beings, but especially not as adolescents. And so um, maybe rather than focusing on what are they doing with their phones while they're sitting in rows facing forward listening to someone talk, thinking about how do we redesign learning so that um, their brains and their bodies and their their um, thumbs are completely engaged.
1: Okay. That, that's pretty significant. I used to say that all the time about having a son going, I don't know if he's designed to sit in a classroom <laughs> <That day laughs> yeah, long, yeah, you know, know, for six to seven hours. But I love that you've added and what to do with your thumbs. Like they, you know, some of them, that whole kinesthetic learning, Uh, How do we keep them actively engaged while a message is, you know, there for hours? Like at church camp, you are literally hours sitting there listening to the message. So I
5: I think that that's a huge tip. How do we redesign learning? So to bring it full circle, maybe that's something that needs to change. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it, it, it is identifying the right change,
2: you know, because so many yeah. times we can think this is what needs to change when that really is not going to bring the results we want. It's where, and so that it's like it, it's thinking differently, like you're saying. Maybe it's not taking the phones away, and that's not the change. It's redesigning the learning process where they don't want to be on their phone, um, you know, trying to multitask with that. So it, it, it is a new approach and just trying to think differently. And I think that's what you've challenged us a lot in this is, is, is looking at change differently. And how do we how do we tackle the process of change in such a way that brings the results that we're looking for? Um, we just so appreciate you sharing with us and so many great tips um, here. And, and we can't wait for our listeners to, to get your book and to find out more that will impact their own lives. You've been listening to Girlfriend at Radio with Patty and Lisa. Have a great day.